Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host, my name is Mike. Today we've got four deadheads from around the country competing for a $50 gift card to REI and a spot in next week's show. Here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants who are all on video chat to prevent any possibility of cheating can submit their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got our returning champion, Luke, with us here, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, let's hear the first song without further ado, The Grateful Dead. Okay, the guesses are in. Box of Rain at the Spectrum in Philadelphia on March 24th, 1973. After 1973, Box of Rain was shelled for 13 years until 1986 when it was busted out at the Hampton Coliseum to close out the first set, which is also one of my favorite YouTube videos ever. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's like grainy, just trash quality, like home VHS quality, but it's you just get the energy from it regardless. It's... A great YouTube video. Three people got 1973 correctly, and one person didn't. So we'll start with our returning champion, Luke. You guessed 1973 correctly. What'd you hear? Yeah, yeah I kind of heard that kind of classic 1973 dead sound where, um, you know, has those phase canceling microphones that kind of has that gritty sound on them. And uh, I mean, I was aware that they played Boxer Rain that year as well. I knew it wasn't 
you know, an 80s bust out or anything. So that helped as well. We already heard your deadhead origin story, uh, but you saw uh, Trey Anastasio this week playing with Goose. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it was great. I uh, saw the first show of their tour at the, um, well, it used to be called the Portland County Civic Center where uh, the actual Grateful Dead played there eight times between 1976 to or 1979 through 86. Um, but yeah, it was a great show. Um, Goose is awesome. I'm a big fan of theirs. I know that they're controversial in the jam band world, but I'm a fan and, you know, Trey's band always brings it as well. It was really, it was really great. Did you get into Fish first or Grateful Dead first? Um, I kind of, so I got into the Grateful Dead first and then I, I also got into Fish relatively around the same time, but that's when Fish like wasn't a band. Um, you know, like when they broke up around like 2006. So I kind of fell out of liking them probably as much as I could have at that time because of that and, and didn't really uh, start getting uh, strongly back into them until around the time of the Fairly Well and Trey playing with the Dead again. And I was like, oh, this guy's actually, I forgot how awesome he was. And then I started going to see Fish uh, in 2016 and have seen over 30 shows since. <laughs> Just to refresh everyone, Luke is 31. He's from Elliott, Maine. Brian is 48 and he's from New York City. You guessed 1973. How did you diagnose that? Um, well, Donna, so 70s, um, single drum. So the time Mickey wasn't around. Um, and so, and then, the, you know, I, I was kind of toggling between 73 and 74. I wasn't even thinking 72. Um, I didn't realize they didn't play it in, in 74. And so th those, I was just, it was 73 or 74 right off the bat uh, for me. And how did you get into the Grateful Dead? So I'm 48. My first show was 93 Soldiers. Um, saw a handful of shows around the Midwest. I uh, saw Fish back in the early 90s too. Back then it was it was a really fun time. But, um, you know, my, my introduction to the band was Touch of Grey, Truckin', Casey Jones, the stuff on the radio on classic rock radio back then. And it really was I was listening to like Stevie Ray Vaughan and and some other some other people at the time. And then I went and saw a cover band in um, in Illinois, just in the middle of nowhere. And I walked in, they were playing, playing in the band and everybody was dancing around me. Everybody was having a good time. This is around, I think, 91, 92 and I was like, this is, this is amazing. This vibe is awesome. I got to like, keep digging into this. And, um, so got a bunch of tapes and, um, and here I am today. I mean, I haven't stopped. And how did you get the tapes? Yeah, it was just through friends, um, going to shows. It, it was tough back then. I mean, you would get, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation audience recordings and they would be hissy, you know, um, but you know, it was also kind of fun because people put a lot of effort into the tapes. There was a lot of cool artwork on the tapes. Um, I think that's probably the genesis of a lot of the shorthand of some of the songs, like Beat It On Down the Line being Beat It, B -O, whatever it is, B-O-T-D-L. Um, and once you had a tape, like, it, I didn't, you didn't have the choice of everything that's on archive.org, right? So you really, like, love those tapes. I mean, that 73 Cow Palace that I had, the 80, 88 Laguna Seca, I, I still remember listening to those tapes, right? Because it, you, had, you had a short supply of them. So the fact that it was hissy didn't deter you from listening? That's, but I mean, that's part of what the what's great about the band is that they weren't always great. 
like they didn't always play great. You know, sometimes they had off nights. Sometimes they were off key, right, in certain parts of a song. Uh, but that's part of the the genius of the band because, like, um, I, I forgot who it was. I think it was Keezy said in an interview, the Grateful Dead are like a magic trick, right, where you, you're watching the magician and he's doing all of his stuff and it's, okay, I see what he's doing. He's doing all this stuff. And then, poof, the trick happens. And it's that moment where it's like, oh, my God, what did I just see? And you know, even with all the hiss, even with all the the bad quality, you know, there's that moment where Jerry hits those licks and you get the the hair stands up on your on your arms. Right. And so, um, yeah, I love that. The imperfection of the tapes dovetailing with the imperfection of the band. Brian, you're on to the next round. Thank you for being here. Joseph, you also guessed 1973. Joseph is 37 and he's also from New York. Um, uh, what'd you hear? Similar to Brian, actually, um, I heard Donna and Keith. I heard one drummer. My thinking originally also was that this was probably a 73 or 74 and possibly a 72. And I kind of played the odds a little bit and went 73. Smart playing the game. And how'd you get into the dead? My friends introduced me to the dead in high school, um, one of which actually is James from previous episode, episode three. Oh, nice. Um, Love James. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, we're going to see J-Rad this weekend. Um, so right from the beginning, they just had a huge, profound effect on me. It was the same time I was starting to play guitar and... Um, uh, first band I think I've heard where it was like group improvisation. You know, I'd heard music where there's a lead guitar player playing, but you know, the rest of the band is kind of just backing them up. And this was everybody was improv at the same time. And that was brand new to me at the moment. And I, uh, they kind of were the inspiration for me to get into music more. And I ended up uh, pursuing music and going to school for music. How did you incorporate the, that inspiration into your music? Um, well that's, there's a um, Jerry Garcia album with Tony Rice, Pizza Tapes, and they play um, a tune on there called So What, which is a Miles Davis tune. I heard that, and like any time I hear a Grateful Dead song that they didn't write, I immediately go look up the history of the song, listen to every version of that song. So when I heard that, I spent a lot of time with that Miles Davis kind of blue album. To this day, it's one of the most listened albums I have. And so um, the dead, the way the dead approach music is very jazz-like. So I think some of that carried over and I primarily focus on jazz. Thanks for being here. Patrick is 27 and he's from Dover. You guessed 1972, you were one year off. And for that, for your not quite nailing it, you are eliminated. I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. Why 72, I guess, even though it's a fine answer. Um, but. To me, it just, it did not sound like 74. And I, I know some people are saying it was maybe 73 or 74. For me, it was either 72 or 73. And for some reason, I just decided to roll the dice and choose 72. No, no real method to my madness, but yeah. Well, there's no method at all because when you get to a certain point, it's like 72, 73. Like you're talking a matter of, you know, 
it could have delayed so many two shots. Yeah. yeah, we're talking a matter of months here. How did you get into the dead? I think um, it was through a PBS show called Classic Albums. There was an episode, it was called From Anthem to Beauty, and they kind of explained the recording process of Anthem of the Sun all the way through American Beauty and Working Man's Dead. And that kind of really interested me. All the other episodes were kind of just one album. So I thought it was odd that the series would kind of deviate from their sort of structure and have so many other releases within that period. So I knew the Grateful Dead were kind of different because of that. And then eventually um, one day I went to the mall with my mom and I purchased uh, American Beauty on CD. So that's my Grateful Dead origin story. <laughs> and how did you get into the live versions? Yeah, so what the CD had, had quite a few bonus tracks. Uh, well, maybe three or four. And they were, you know, there was kind of a stark contrast to the recording. I think there was a, an extremely slow version of Friend of the Devil, which I thought, oh, wow, that's that's really interesting. And there was a kind of jammed out truck. And so that, that kind of excited me. At the time, I was just starting to play guitar, too. So I found it pretty interesting. So how have the Grateful Dead affected your own playing style? Uh, I definitely like to improvise quite a bit, uh, kind of like Joseph was saying. Um, sort of that modal jazz thing of kind of blue is super fun to kind of just play along to on guitar. So I love that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I'd say just like the devil may care attitude of the Grateful Dead transfers into my playing. If I make a mistake, I don't worry about it too much. I guess this is a question for you and Joseph, but how does the jazz community view the Grateful Dead? Uh, it's it's tough to say. I went to school down south, and I hate to say this, but a lot of jazz musicians, especially older, kind of there's some gatekeeping, there's some snobbery involved, and it it can be competitive, even though you wouldn't think it was it would be competitive, but it it can be. So there's it's <laughs> I don't know I. <laughs> There's definitely there's definitely people out there that that are into both, and I'm one of them. But I'm, I'm not sure it's the majority. Do you find that to be the case too, Patrick? Uh, yeah, I would say that's definitely the case. Though I'd say for my experience, um, I went to a local state school, and most of the people in the music program actually were pretty big Grateful Dead fans. Hmm. So cool. Yeah, I, I think there's a wide range. I I feel like age is probably a factor. Maybe an older faculty member would be less into the Grateful Dead than like a, a young kid playing guitar. Like the JK yeah, that was my experience. The teacher from Whiplash <laughs> probably wouldn't be super into the Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not my tempo. Well, nah. well they, they, you know, Br Br Branford Marsalis played with them, right? And yeah. he totally dug them and um and Clarence Clemens to some extent. Right. Ornette so Coleman as well. Yeah. Ornette. yeah. Ron Carter recently with Bob at Radio City Music Hall. That's, yeah, yeah, it's so cool that that happened. Really, it, cool. re it really is. Yeah, Ron Carter yeah. is incredible. He really still brings it too. He's an excellent person to see live if you can. Patrick, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm gonna hang out in the losers circle here, so I'll see how everyone does. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll be right there soon. with you. I'll be there with you soon. All right. Well, let's let's play the next song.
Okay, it must have been The Roses. It was at the Paramount Theater in Portland, Oregon on June 3rd, 1976. The song was frequently played in the 70s, then less often in the 80s or 90s. But even in the 80s and 90s, it was always played at least once per year. Luke, you guessed it correctly, 1976. Talk to us. Uh, kind of similar to a 1976 one, I guess, last week. Uh, the drummers, you know, the, like I said, um, you know, when Mickey joined the band again, it took them a little while to get back in the same groove together. And in Billy Kortzman's book, Deal, uh, he writes that he was pissed when Mickey joined the band again, actually. Um, so you can kind of hear it in some of those 76 shows with the way the drum sound uh, and Jerry's voice as well. Just a little clearer younger sounding than even in 77 although he sounds you know obviously great in 77 as well but I, i've heard phil or i've heard people paraphrase phil saying the two drummers made it harder to improvise is that kind of billy's sentiment or yeah i think that was, i mean they could get so free when it was just billy i mean you know the type type two jamming as you know fish heads say you know where it's uh deviating from any structure you know at all kind of how dark star goes or playing in the band but the one drummer, it just got so wild and far out. Um, hmm. And I think, you know, that's what he was a little upset about. But I think there's every air of the Grateful Dead has so many wonderful things that it brings to the table. So. All right. You're on in the next round. Joseph, you guessed 1977. You're also on the next round. Would you hear? Um, I heard two drummers though that was very difficult to hear i don't know based on maybe the recording or or what but that was very difficult for me but two drummers a piano heard donna so this is telling me that it's between 1976 and 1978 and play the odds got it again playing the game joseph <laughs> yeah i'm sorry <laughs> no it's it's smart it's part of it it's like final jeopardy yeah you gotta like play your opponents my gut was telling me that this is either 76 or 78, and I kept leaning towards 76, but I I couldn't commit to it. Yeah, I think it would be a little, it's not quite fun enough for 78, I feel like. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a that good was point. a slow, it must have been the roses. Like, I'm like, I can't believe I've edited this for so long. I'm bad edit job by I me mean, because it's just, we got the point after the first like minute 10 or whatever it's like um yeah well great you're on to the next round brian you guessed 1979 you're eliminated i'm very sorry to see you go what'd you what'd you glean from these two guys that maybe made you second guess your guess well um first of all everybody's super impressive with your knowledge here this is this is tough <laughs> um you know, my, my instinct was 76, about three quarters of the way through the song. I was 76, 76, 76. But then I thought they 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 like to play this song in the early 80s so much that and, and it just felt I, I, I don't know, maybe I overthought it, but I was thinking like it's just one of those filler songs. They're they're tired of Donna and Keith. They're just through, kind of going through. She's singing along you know, getting ready to just rip a scarlet fire or something like that. You know what I mean? And so I, I think I overthought it. I was thinking, you know, uh, I, and in fact, originally before Donna was singing, I was like, well, maybe it's 80. Um, and the crowd noise kind of threw me a little bit too. So it also said that it was maybe, uh, you know, maybe a bigger venue. So I, I don't know, it's overthinking it. 
No, no, I think it's properly thinking it. The bigger, especially with the crowd noise, that's always a good uh, clue. Yeah. All right, before you go, I have to ask you about your steely San Francisco Giants hat. I'm from Marin, so I'm a huge fan of the Giants. How did you get that hat? Yeah, right on. I did. I, I lived for a year and a half in Mill Valley, and it was it was seeing shows at the Sweetwater and Terrapin Crossroads was was an epic time. Um, yeah, no, I you know the AT and T Park, the Giants did a Jerry Garcia night, and it was the first time they did like a a proper Jerry Garcia night, and I think you know the the cast was there, Trixie and and Bill Walton was there, and Mickey and uh, I don't think Bob was there at the time, um, but uh, yeah, we just got tickets after work and and when it was Jerry, they they had uh, Jerry bobbleheads and I was there too late to get a bobblehead. They were already gone by the time I got there, uh, but it was fun. You know, it's was, it was very San Francisco. You know, the the um, the stench in the stands was not typical for a baseball game, and uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty cool. So you lived in Mill Valley. Do you ever see Bob? I guess you saw him at Sweetwater. Is he, is he a man about town too? Or Yeah, I mean, um, I, I never saw Bob. I saw Bill uh, a couple of times, Billy a couple of times. Um, and, the, you know, if 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 I can give any, I wish Terrapin Crossroads was still there, but if I can give any deadhead a, a piece of advice is take a pilgrimage to Sweetwater and go see a couple of shows there at Bobby's place because it's super small and... Um, great musicians play there and bobby showed up a couple of times at, at some shows I, I think one one of the steve kimmock shows he showed up jackie green he showed up um yeah so hey brian thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it thank you this is awesome appreciate it okay joseph and luke are going to a best of three series to determine who gets the rei gift card um luke have you are you did you save your gift card from last week so you could possibly combine it and buy something a <laughs> shirt or something yeah, I left my hiking boots uh, up in the White Mountains two summers ago, uh, you know, and I, I got to replace them. So, you know, maybe hoping if I get lucky, you know, work wow. towards that. Yeah, that's the closest thing we get to trash. I got a goal. Guess the year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, in your face, I'm going to get those hiking boots. Uh, you're going to have to win a few more games than this one, Luke, to get those hiking boots, man. Yeah, I yeah. Feel like. All right. Best of three series, Joseph and Luke. Let's do it.
All right, the guesses are in. It was Keep On Growing on June 22nd, 1985 at Alpine Valley. The Derek and the Dominoes cover was only played live four times by the dead, three times in 1985 and once in 1986. That very deep cut was suggested by two-time champ Kyle. Call it Kyle's Picks there. Luke, you guessed 1986. You were closer. Yeah, um... I knew that they played it a couple times in those years, as you said, and I just took a guess on it being the 86 version. Uh, Jerry's vocals uh, kind of were hard to make out in that recording, um, but yeah, kind of just took a guess on that year. I love that song so much. I love how Brent does the Bobby uh, Whitlock vocal parts from the Derek and the Dominoes version. Uh, Great tune. And then Phil comes in there too, right? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> Phil was doing it. Yeah, it was, everybody was getting involved. The mid mid eighties dead is so underrated because people get really caught up in how Jerry's vocals sound, but they do a lot of fun stuff with the set list. Play like a lot of like different songs, and it's great. I feel like kind of the modern jam band was like born out of that era of the Grateful Dead with the amount of set list variation they started to do at that time. Wow, so that mid-80s Grateful Dead most closely resembles like Fish, you're saying? Yeah, and any of those bands, like kind of the new jam band blueprint is you play a bunch of different songs all the time. I mean, I know the Grateful Dead are known for playing different set lists, but they didn't really change up their songs that much until the mid-80s, in my opinion. I mean, I think you could probably see three Grateful Dead shows on a tour in 1977 and probably see most of the songs they were playing at that time, I would guess. But... And once the 80s happened, you know, bust outs started happening and things of that nature that are kind of, you know, big, big part of jam band culture these days. I wonder what you can attribute that to. I think they're at their like peak cult status at that time. It's like before Touch of Grey came out and it's like 70s and 60s, like being a hippie, like as like a normal thing. It's like the 80s. It's like almost like underground in a way. It's like before they got really big, but it's like a, they have the cult following vibe at that point. And they know a lot of the people that are going to the shows are going to many of them. So I think they're keeping that in mind. It's probably spot on. Joseph, you guessed 1990, not far off. Why'd you guess 90? I've heard that song, but I had no idea which specific years they played it. And Originally, I was going to go earlier, and then I heard Phil come in, and that <laughs> totally screwed me up. So uh, until Phil, what were you thinking? I was going to go 88, which I still wouldn't have gotten, but at least I would have been slightly closer. <laughs> I didn't know that Phil sang that early. I thought he that was more of a 90s thing. So you learn something new every day. All right, I've got a question for you, Joseph. What would you recommend for Grateful Dead fans who are looking for an accessible Grateful Dead-esque entry point to jazz? Um, Herbie Hancock. 
some of the earlier albums that are like super funk, Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters, that might be a good place to start. Um, I think Kind of Blue is like, if you're looking, talking about like straight ahead jazz, that's like the album to go to. That's got Miles Davis, Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, uh, Bill Evans. I mean, it's just like an all-star lineup. To be honest, when I first started playing guitar, this is something that was really helpful listening to the dead as they play a lot of standards. I remember when the first genre of music I played was bluegrass. I got a beginner's bluegrass book and Dark Hollow was in it. So that was one of the first songs that I like learned and then, you know, listen to the dead play it. And it's different than what you would consider like traditional, traditional bluegrass. Maybe it's more exciting to me. It's less kind of vanilla. So um, big boss man, you know, all the songs like that mama tried and stuff like that have to kind of become standards in the country world. So that's um, the idea of uh, getting together and playing through some of these tunes is is uh, across all genres. Thanks for breaking that down. That was great. All right. Luke is up 1-0 in the series. If he wins this next one, he wins the gift card and is closer to his boots. But Joseph isn't going <laughs> to let him get the boots that fast. Let's, let's play the song. <laughs> Bright blue ball just spinning, spinning free. Dizzy with eternity. Painted with a skin of sky, brushing some clouds of sea. Pulling home for you and me. Peaceful place, her soil looks from space. Closer look reveals the human race. Full of hope, full of grace is the human face. But afraid, we merely are home to waste. There's a fear down here we can't forget. Hasn't got a name just yet. Always awake, always around. Ashes, ashes, all fall down. Ashes, ashes, all fall down. Watch as the ball revolves in the nighttime falls. And again the hunt begins, and again the blood wind calls. By and by again, the morning sun will rise. But the darkness never goes from some men's eyes. All right, the guesses are in. It's throwing stones at Pine Knob in Clarkston, Michigan, on June 20th, 1991. Throwing Stones was first performed in 1982, but didn't come out on an album until 1987's In the Dark. Luke and Joseph, you both guessed 1991. No one gets a point. We're going on to the next game. But Luke, we'll start with you. Why 91? Um, so, uh, you know, there's no Brent there. It's uh, Bruce and Vince. Um, and then the other thing that made me think 91 is I've been listening to that new Dave's Picks. That's a 1990 Eugene show, Eugene, Oregon. Um, and, you know, obviously that's Brent era. 
but uh, that Phil's bass tone, it sounds kind of the same as it does in that show, which is so sick. I love Phil's bass tone, like 90 and 91. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Um, and that that's so no, no Brent, but that bass tone to me equaled 1991. How would you characterize that bass tone? It's like weird. It's almost like punk rock bass tone. Like with the, the pick is really present in there. It's just, he's trying to sound like a, just a low end guitar. It's, it's so cool. I love it. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's like in some ways it sounds bad and in some ways it sounds good, but I just like, like how it sounds mostly. Joseph, you also guess 91. Do you want to add anything to Luke's explanation? Uh, no, pretty much everything he said, I heard Bruce and Vince and that was the main giveaway for me. And yeah, Phil's bass was very distinct in that. I don't know if his tone is necessarily is characteristic of that era or that year or anything, but I definitely noticed it. Um, to add on to <laughs> the Phil conversation, uh, the second set of Cornell 77, listen to that with headphones and you can't miss him. He's just running the show. I mean, he's everywhere and they're just sliding up, sliding down. It's just incredible. Joseph, how do you feel about the two piano players era? Personally, I don't love it. <laughs> um, I mean, a guitar and piano can do basically the same thing, which is melody and harmony. And then you have two guitars and a piano. So there's three instruments kind of doing that. And then you have another piano. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, they they have moments, they make it work. And that's incredible. But it's not necessarily something that I would choose. All right. Luke and Joseph, same situation. Um, Luke needs one to win. Joseph needs one to stay alive. Mississippi Half Step Uptown Toodaloo at High Lie Fronton in Miami. High Lie Fronton in Miami on June 23rd, 1974. 
Garcia supposedly did not particularly agree with Hunter's use of the word styrofoam in the song as he felt it age dated the song. Luke, you guessed 1974. You got it exactly. You are a repeat champion. You're amazing. Um, Joseph was only one year off at 73, but he's like, what the fuck, dude? Um, how, uh, how'd you figure that out? I'm sorry. Um, I, I was actually going to do I, the whole time I was thinking 1973 and I switched it to 1974 at the very end because to me it sounded like how they sound in the Grateful Dead movie, which is, you know, 1974. Jerry's tone just sounded like that littlest bit more jazzy than the way his playing is that he gets a little more into in 74. Um, and Phil's bass tone just sounds like a little more bottom heavy and just a little more robust than it does in 73 to me. But other than that, I mean, I was thinking it was 73 as well. It was still a toss up in my mind. Well, congratulations, Joseph, you off by one year. Why 73? I back and forth between 73 and 74. And (laughs) I, I thought this could be a, you were playing the host type moment and giving us a never another 73. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's just little nuances between these, t- those two years. It's so difficult to pinpoint it. Um, but congrats on the boots. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really even hike any big mountains last year. Cause I only had Crocs hike. So, you know, I'm hoping to. <laughs> All right, Luke, tell us the truth. They're gonna are gonna wait another week and see if you can get even better boots next uh, by winning three <laughs> in a row or what? Yeah, maybe I'll uh, do go for three and then retire. You know? Whoa, whoa! There's no retiring. You can go forever. <laughs> yeah. If it's allowed, you know, I'll go for. I'll definitely go for a bit. I enjoy. It's really fun, and it, I mostly have fun just being able to talk about like this band with everybody on here. That's that's the coolest part about it. Well, yeah, that is my favorite part too. But I will say, I, I want to use you to radicalize people. Like someone's going to be like, <laughs> all right, fuck this. Like I'm going on there and I'm taking down Luke. Like, Yeah, uh, yeah um, definitely. All right. Subscribe to Guest the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For show updates, follow us at at Guest the Year Show on Instagram. If you want to be a contestant on the show and try to take down Luke, and prevent him from getting good boots, sponsor the show or make comments, ask questions email us at guesstheyearshow at gmail.com. For the fun facts, I relied heavily on dead.net, Grateful Dead the Day, and especially deaddisc.com on this one. And thank you to them and their commenters. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our back-to-back winner, Luke. And to our other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night.